This episode is sponsored by The Pampered Puppy out of Conyers, Georgia. Are you looking for an amazing groomer with a great rep for your pups? I know for my Emory and Charlie, I'll only take them to the best of the best. That's why I will only use The Pampered Puppy. They have years and years of experience, and the shop has been around for over 30 years. They've also been voted best of Rockdale and Newton County for 18 years. Whoa, business owner goals. You can check them out in Old Town Conyers or at yourpamperedpuppy.com. You can also give them a call at 770-760-1494. That's yourpamperedpuppy.com or call them at 770-760-1494. Juicy Juicers. I'm Brooke. And I'm Alyssa. And this is... For God's sake. Don't drink the Jones juice. Welcome back to episode 15. And if you've been here the whole time, you'll realize that that is not our intro song. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure some of you are like, what the hell just happened? (laughs) Yeah. um, Sorry if that really just confused you, but um, I had to force you to listen to it. And because what, it's that damn good. It's beautiful, right? Yeah. It's like an angel singing into your ears. Literally. Okay, so y'all don't know who this is yet, but I told Alyssa earlier that I like can totally picture this guy like singing like to the church. <laughs> like <laughs> leading the church choir. Singing to God. <laughs> this is my brother's band. They're called Ronson, and it's him. His name is Thomas George, and his friend uh, Jesse Sells. They created this band together and just finally released this song. Um, my brother and his friend are super proud of it, and um, I told them I would promote it on the platform that Brooke and I have. So um, if you liked it, um definitely go to spotify add it to your playlist um i'm definitely going to put a link to um the song from spotify down in the um, story notes for this episode and i'll also post about it in the facebook group and probably on instagram too maybe do a tiktok about it we'll see Mm -hmm. but um yeah i just you know he, he, he needs all the support he can get you know He's the bomb.com. Oh, he's also just a great person. So Yes, he is. Go and he's Thomas. my brother. So, like, go listen to it. Get him some listens. And 
That voice, though. It's so beautiful. He's so good. I'm just saying. Everything about it's good. But yeah, so anyways, back to murder and unpleasant things. (laughs) Enough with the choir talk. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So today I am covering Ed Kemper. And I thought that this was a pretty high profile case. Mm -hmm. He's considered one of the most prolific serial killers Mm -hmm. in history. I mean, I knew who he was. I'm just not super familiar, like, with yeah. what he did, <laughs> you know? Well, a lot of people say that they had never even heard of him whenever I would talk about him. Mm-hmm. And he interests me so much. And the thing about him, though, is, like, even though he is the one that interests me like, the most, um, I didn't hear about him till like, almost two years ago from watching the show Mindhunter. So this is what, 20, 30 years ago when he killed? He was born in the 40s. Oh, so (laughs) longer than that. Yeah, I think his reign of terror was like uh, in the 70s. Okay. The early 70s. So, oh, wow. Yeah, but um, if you guys haven't watched Mindhunter, I recommend it over and over and over and over and over again because it is so good. And if you end up liking this case, it's very important because. Um, Ed Kemper was um, the serial killer who kind of helped revolutionize um, criminal profiling um, because he just didn't shut the fuck up when he would talk. And he told everything. Literally everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, this helped, you know, uh, investigators and psychologists and whoever else deals with that kind of stuff, you know, a lot of insight into what happens into a serial killer who is driven by, you know, like sexual sadism and, Mm -hmm. you know, linking it to murder and violence. So um, he is a very actually important kind of crucial person in uh, history and criminology. So very cool. Yeah. Um, But also the show is just really, really good. Well, I am stoked. You should watch it, Brooke. I know you don't watch TV, but is it's it on really Netflix. Good. Yeah. Is it a show or is mm-hmm. it a okay? It's, it's a, show. a show. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so uh, 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 um, we're gonna begin with uh, his birth and upbringing. All right. So, Edmund <clears throat> Kemper the third was born to Clarnell and Edmund. I think his it's Emil, it's E M I L. Mm-hmm. Kemper the second on December eighteenth, nineteen forty eight. My birthday. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you share your birthday. Yay! Even the year. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Forty two or something? Forty eight. Oh, yep. <laughs> totally. Um, he was born in Burbank, California. Twinsies, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Did you also help revolutionize criminology? Shh. Okay. <laughs> so, like with most serial killers, as you know, we've talked about over and over and over again, he had a very chaotic upbringing, mostly with his parents. Go figure. Yeah. So, his parents ended up divorcing, and um, Clarnell moves Ed and his sister to Montana. Hmm. so this guy has mommy issues yeah this is the whole 
basis of this man's fuckery. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. He's just, he hates his mom. And it will become so apparent. Like, he loves his mom, but he hates his mom. That's insane. He's probably pissed she moved him to Montana. Like, what the hell is there to do in Montana? Um, we'll find out. Okay. (laughs) Kill people? Uh, No, but other things. (laughs) Um, so his mother, Clarnell, was an alcoholic, and she was never diagnosed with this, but a lot of people, like professionals, believe that she was suffering from... BPD. Yep. Go figure. <laughs> she was very abusive, especially to Ed. Um, he ends up blaming her for all of his problems in the future. You know, she's the reason why he's a killer. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed's father, who used to work on nuclear bomb tests in the Pacific, said that, well, he said about Clarnell, suicide missions in wartime and the later atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell. Ouch. Yeah. So obviously she wasn't that great of a person. Very unstable. Um, Not only was she abusive to Ed, but she also would berate her berate her husband about his job and she refused to coddle ed because he was because she was scared he turned out to be gay oh because that's how that works right totally okay yep (laughs) um so around this time of his upbringing um ed started having sexual fantasies about death and he would um, take his sister's dolls, like her Barbie dolls, uh-huh. and cut the heads off of them. Oh. Yeah. And do what? Just cut the heads off. Oh, okay. Or dismember. He would also dismember them. Oh. Um, Ed said that this had nothing to do with his desires and fantasies, and it was mostly about sibling rivalry, but um, I think later on in this uh episode you'll come to realize that that was definitely foreshadowing okay i think i now know what you're getting around to when you said that so okay yeah (laughs) i do know a little bit so another weird thing that ed would do is when he was in the second grade he would stalk his teacher and watch her outside of her house while he was carrying his father's bayonet wait in second grade in second grade okay creeper yeah what the hell? I'd be like, Eddie, come on, go home. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like what are you doing? You're like fucking nine. Or right. not even. <laughs> like <It's> seven. <laughs> That's weird. So another cool thing that Ed would do. Um, do you remember when we were kids and we would, you know, you guys at home probably did this too, but you know, you'd play like tag with your friends, freeze tag, hide and go seek, yeah. um, you know, play, you know, pretend. Yeah. So, hey, and his sisters did the same thing, but instead of tag or hide and seek, uh, they played gas chamber in electric chair. Oh. Yeah. And this is where his, um, he would kind of get his sisters to blindfold him and then lead him to a chair where he would pretend to be in an immense amount of agony until he died. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So fun right yeah great, that's great totally game. normal childhood games like i played gas chamber as a kid <laughs> totally you? yeah duh who didn't yeah 
So at 10 years old, Ed buried their family cat alive. Oh, no. So this is what he does in Montana, okay? Oh, God. <laughs> he buries the family cat alive. Uh, did the cat die? Yeah. And then he dug it up <gasps> and then decapitated the, <gasps> the cat's head and put it on a spike. No! Oh, my God. Oh, he my did. God. No. Yeah, he did. So three years later, you know, at the age of 13, he killed another family cat. What the hell? I hate him. Bye. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you see, I get more upset about these animals than I do the people. Yeah. It's (laughs) fucked up. Uh, So he cut the cat up. But instead of, you know, putting its head on a spike, he just kind of put the cat parts in its closet. Oh, yeah. And they remained there till his mom walked in and was like... What the hell is that smell? No. She was like, (laughs) you need to get the cat out of your closet. Oh, okay. You need to get the cat pieces out of your closet. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, get that out real fast. Yeah. You know. I mean... So she just happened to see the cat parts and we're like, yeah, I probably should get that out of there. Yeah, you probably shouldn't have the pieces of her family cat in your in your closet. That's you know, disgusting. Could give it a little funeral. Yeah. <sighs> but despite that, uh, Clarnell was afraid of Ed. Yeah. When he was 15 years old, he was six foot four. Holy cow. At 15, six foot four. Wow. Uh, she made Ed sleep in the locked basement out of fear that he would molest his sisters. I, you know, I was wondering if there was any of that going on. I don't know. It never specifies that. Mm-hmm. I personally believe he couldn't do that. And you'll learn why later on in the episode. I'll bring that back up. Okay. Um, Ed had said that all he had was a light in the basement that uh, came from the furnace. And he imagined that this was hell because of the flames and the hissing sound the furnace would make um being down there in that dark basement was just absolutely petrifying to him yeah he just i mean he was down there for a long time you know and the only way he could get out is if his mom let him out Mm -hmm. so uh his mom would all or she would also constantly just chew ed out for everything and just make him feel like shit you know she dissolved his confidence yeah um she also told him that no woman would ever love him well that's a horrible thing to say and she liked to tease him and uh make him feel bad about his height oh really which is so weird to me because you know girls like a tall man yeah that is weird i wonder if his dad was a tall man i have no idea somebody had to be so when ed was 14 he ran away to live with his father but after a while his dad sent him to live with his paternal grandparents uh another case of abandonment and neglect and nobody wants me nobody loves me right it's not wanted by his mom not wanted by his dad and his dad had been remarried and he had other kids so that just adds to that abandonment and neglect feeling that he has yeah um, unfortunately, he felt the same way about his grandmother that he did his mom. Oh. Yeah. Um, Sounds like he just has issues with females, period. Well, um, everyone said that his paternal grandmother was the same exact person as Clarnell. Yeah. Like, they were just very similar people. Just vicious, mean woman. Right. Um, so... 
It's no surprise to anyone that he extended the rage he felt towards his mother into his grandmother. Yeah. Um, he did love his grandfather, though. Um, in the documentary I watched, which, by the way, I meant to mention this in the beginning. Um, I got all of my information from a documentary uh, called Kemper on Kemper Inside the Mind of a Serial Killer. Literally all of this was in the documentary. So if you want to watch it, I had to watch it online. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really good. It's like an hour and a half or something like that. But and that's why it took you so long to do your research. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so in the, in the uh, documentary, he said one of the uh, investigators said that his grandfather was the only person he ever had a positive thing to say about. Wow. Like the only person he ever said he loved. Oh. So. Um, and his grandfather had given him a gun, um, and he would shoot birds with it, which is really not uncommon. Right, Like, boys right. do do that. Or, I mean, some girls, too. Yeah. Um, but his grandmother didn't approve of him killing birds, so she confiscated the gun. Mm -hmm. So, what does Ed do in return? Killed her. Yeah. He oh. shoots her in the back. Oh. Oh. <laughs> And um, he doesn't stop there. Oh, God. No, no, no. Um, as his grandfather was walking up the driveway. No, tell me he didn't kill his grandfather. He shot and killed his grandfather <gasps> because, and I quote, he didn't want his grandfather to see his wife dead. Oh. So right there, you can see, like, <clears throat> in a weird kind of twisted sense, that's a little bit of empathy. Like, he I had empathy guess. for his, in a weird, twisted <coughs> sense. Yeah. It's so weird. It's, it's like, he, he didn't want his grandfather to see his dead wife. He right. knew that that would bring his grandfather great sadness. And actually, he said he would have a heart attack and die. Yeah. So, he just fucking killed him. Oh, it's, man. I guess it's a mercy killing, I guess. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so, after he killed both of his grandparents uh he called his mom and asked her what she he should do huh and so he turned himself into the police how old was he at this time 15 oh my gosh yeah so uh he ed was sent to the criminal criminally insane unit of um atascadero state hospital uh they weren't really sure what to do with him because he didn't really fit um anything that they knew about uh mental illness he mm -hmm. wasn't paranoid schizophrenic you know he wasn't hearing voices he wasn't hallucinating mm -hmm. he seemed normal but they thought he must be crazy because he just killed his grandparents yeah so um they kind of just locked him away you know in a room and uh that's where he developed for the next six years. Oh, man. Was just locked up. Just like he was with his mom, locked up in the basement. Yeah. And so... He sounds like he was alone a lot. And it never gets better. <laughs> um, when in the mental facility, Kemper would masturbate a few times a day and imagine what he would do to his mother. What? Like, you know, kill her. <laughs> and and yeah. that would turn him on. Yeah, the Gross. hatred that he felt towards his mother was sexually arousing. So Eek. this is in his, you know, um, you know, those years where your sexual desires and mm -hmm. whatever are developing. So it's pretty bad. Yuck. 
Um, this is where he was first tested for his IQ and learned that it was actually 145. Wow. Yeah, the average IQ in America is between 90 and 100. Yeah. And anything 145 and above is considered genius. Yeah. So he was a genius. Holy cow. And he said in an interview that he had no idea that he was intelligent. Really? But he was pleasantly surprised to find this out because he had been called stupid pretty much his whole entire life. He believed that he was mentally defective. He said he like he thought he was a slow person. Really? That's what he said. Yeah. He said Hmm. that, you know, just being called stupid all of his life, it just sank in and he legit thought that he was just stupid. Wow. So that's interesting. Words hurt, guys. Yeah. Words hurt. They affect you and other people more than you realize. Um, so the staff there described him as having a pleasant demeanor. And because of that and his high IQ, um, they felt like he was disarming. Um, they were they felt comfortable around him. Mm-hmm. Um, the staff used Ed as a secretary, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and he helped them out by administering different, you know, tests and exams for the other patients. But <laughs> the stupid thing about this is um, because he's giving these psych evals to mm-hmm. the other patients there, um, he's memorizing the questions. He's memorizing the answers yeah. that are supposed to be the correct. Yeah. To make you hear. seem yeah sane. Yeah. And so for his final eval <laughs> to determine whether he needs to stay or whether he can be released oh he gosh. knew exactly what to say yeah and he passed oh. with flying colors <laughs> and nobody caught on that that might happen no i guess not <laughs> yeah so in 1969 the doctors declared him sane well yeah, yeah. um though they said that if he were to move back in with his mother and associate with his mother it would do a lot of damage to him they pretty much told him to you know cut ties with her and just to you know block her out of his life Mm -hmm. and just to move on from there Mm -hmm. but when he was paroled he was sent to live in santa cruz with his mother no yeah how old was he 21 21 yeah couldn't they just like put him somewhere like a halfway house or something like why I mean, he's 21 he's an adult the only reason why he was even uh sent to live with his mother is because he didn't have a job he didn't really have anywhere else to go yeah i mean you can't just let him run the street i guess yeah you can't and because he was a mental patient mm-hmm. even though he was declared sane, you know he, he kind of had to go with somebody yeah so you know Obviously, the doctors were right because um, living with his mother was the worst thing to happen to Ed. Just like, you know, when he was a kid, she would constantly belittle him, um, destroying his confidence. um, And it made it difficult to assimilate into adulthood. Yeah. So he, um, you know, physically was an adult, Mm -hmm. but emotionally he was pretty much a child, you know. Yeah. Um, he was a loner and didn't really fit in, but he wanted to fit in with the cops, and he actually wanted to become one. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, become a cop after you murder your grandparents. Right. Um, a lot of serial killers have the want and desire to become a police officer. Um, and this is authoritative reasons, but mainly to learn investigative techniques in order to evade cops so that they can live out their fantasies. Cover up their crimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But Ed could never be a cop, not because of, you know, his mental past issues and the murder of his grandparents, but because he was six foot nine and 300 pounds and that exceeded the height and weight limit. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. There's a height and weight limit for police officers. Which is insane to me because um, I feel like a six foot nine, 300 pound cop would just be the like scariest thing for a criminal to see. Yeah. I mean, I know it's not like that nowadays, but like, it's not even like at six foot nine, 300 pounds, he was even like probably a fat guy. Like, he was probably just a big, scary, intimidating yeah. dude. I mean, he wasn't skinny, but he wasn't fat. He yeah. was just. Well, I understand, you know. like, maybe a weight limit, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because you need to be physically fit, but right. that's silly. Huh. It's weird, but um, he decided to get a job with the highway department because he couldn't be a cop, so. Okay. Which ultimately is just as bad as get becoming a police officer because we'll find out later that. Um, he doesn't need to have any kind of authority. Well, that, but also this is kind of what helped aid him hide bodies and murder mm-hmm. women because he knew you know like deserted areas or mm-hmm. like the least um populated areas or mm-hmm. you know with the most traffic or whatever so so he only killed women yeah, yeah. only well besides his grandfather but yeah Oof, mommy issues <laughs> so obviously he could not blend in with society no even seeing a couple out on a date would cause him severe jealousy. Mm-hmm. Um, his mother convinced him that no girl would ever love him, so he decides that the only way to possess to possess a woman that he desires is by kidnapping them. Mm-hmm. Um, is he okay? I don't know what he looks like. Is he a decent-looking guy or not attractive? When he's arrested, I would. He's not ugly, but I wouldn't say he's attra- attractive. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not. Like he just hideous. looked like a normal, regular six foot nine, you know, guy. Okay, you can look him up if you want. I think I'm going to. I don't know. I I I wouldn't say. I just feel weird calling a serial killer attractive. Well, I mean, <laughs> Ted Bundy was a nice looking fellow. I, I don't mean, think he was though. I would say Ed Kemper is more attractive than Ted Bundy, but. The popular opinion is Ted Bundy is attractive, and I just think he's hideous. Yeah. Okay, I see him. Well, shit. As he got older, he got a lot heavier. Oh, yeah. He got way bigger as he got older, but when he was first arrested, I don't think he was a bad-looking dude. No. Yeah. It's just crazy when I was watching the documentary and just hearing him talk and watching him talk, and he would just talk like everything was just so casual and normal, and... You kind of forget what he's talking about because he just seems like a normal guy. And then you remember what he does. And you're like, oh, my God, how can you even sit there and talk about this? Very charismatic. And yeah, he's described as a very charming, very charismatic, very intelligent, very Mm -hmm. careful, very caring, very. um, And it's so weird that he had a hard time forming relationships with people because 
He was um, a good talker, it sounds. Yeah, like the jailers loved him when he gets arrested. The cops loved him. You know, anybody that he really ever met trusted him. It sounds like he just didn't have the confidence to especially find, like, female company. Yes, see, that is... Um, he had a, very low self-esteem because of the way his mother did him. Right, and we will get more into detail about that towards the end mm-hmm. because... Um, it does relate to the reason why he does what he does later on. Okay. Um, so, um, Ed was very scared of failing in relationships because, you know, he's never really had a solid relationship. Yeah. Okay. So, moving on to his planning mode. So, everybody that Kemper kills besides his grandparents and his mother and her friend, those will come later, um, were all hitchhikers oh. from um, the, the local university okay. that his mother works at, by the way. Okay. So he began picking up hitchhikers in order to develop social skills when it came to talking to women. That's not the worst idea. It's a horrible idea. Well, I'm saying, like, just to, like, pick somebody up and to build those social skills, not to murder them. Yeah, but that's not really the real reason. <laughs> he would pick up a university a university student just to see if he could let her go. That's what it was. So he's, like, trying to form um, or develop social skills yeah. talking to these women. But he's also trying to see whether or not he could let her go and not kill her. Ooh. So, okay. yeah. yeah. And he did this with, like, over 100 women. Holy shit. Yeah. Cause so did he just kind of pick and choose which ones he wanted to kill? Um, I'll tell you in a second. Okay. But um, it's also worth mentioning that, obviously, back in, you know, the 60s and 70s, hitchhiking was just so popular. Yeah. But it was especially popular in Santa Cruz. Okay. And especially with the uh, university students. Okay. So dangerous. So um, he would pick a woman up, and each time he would do something a little more daring just to see how far he could go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes he would drive to a remote place where they would be alone, and he could act out his fantasies, but then he would tell himself that he couldn't do it or mm-hmm. that he shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, after doing this over and over again, the feeling of possessing them became just too overwhelming mm-hmm. like he couldn't control it it was just consuming every fiber of his being yeah. and he had to kill somebody he had to act on it yes the spring of 1972 ed begins his killing spree his first victims were mary ann pesh and anita Luchessa. Um, ed saw these two fresno state students on the side of the road holding a sign that said they wanted to go to Stanford. He told him that he was on his way to Stanford, even though he wasn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because Ed worked for the state, uh, he knew of different roads and areas that he could take them. So, back to the highway, whatever it was called. So, as they're driving, Kemper cuffs Luchessa, who was in the front seat, and Pesh, who was in the back. He takes Luchessa out of the car and shoves her in the trunk. Mm. Ed Kemper then proceeds to attack Pesh, and then, or and that's when it first started. Um, oh wait, 
okay so he proceeds to attack her and at first she didn't even like realize what was happening she had no idea she she just realized it didn't click that she was being attacked by this man well yeah i'm sure you're in like shock yeah um so he said that he mindlessly kept stabbing her and then he cut her neck from ear to ear jesus yeah and what's the other chick doing at this point she's in the trunk okay so kimper says that it's nothing like in the movies when it comes to killing somebody Mm -hmm. uh when you kill someone you don't just cut them and then they bleed out it's nothing like that it's Mm -hmm. tough to kill someone that's what he says um he couldn't believe how hard it was to actually kill someone so um when he went for Lucessa, he was in shock and knew he had to continue and kill her or she'd tell on him. Mm-hmm. So this is where things get kind of fucked. Um, so, uh, where was I at? Okay, so when Lucessa sees the blood on Kemper, she obviously freaks out and asks what had happened. Um another weird empathy thing here but kimber didn't want her to know what he had did to her roommate like he felt like it would hurt her to know (sighs) that he just fucking murdered her roommate oh gosh yeah so he told her your friend got smart with me and i hit her and i broke her nose you better come help um he also said she's about to die why does she have to know that like you know, if if he's about to kill Lucessa, mm-hmm. why does she need to know that her, you know, friend is um, what suffering or whatever? Mm-hmm. It's because there's this weird fucking part of Kemper that just feels some weird, guilt. strange, yeah, twisted form of guilt and empathy. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, where was I? Oh, okay. So he started stabbing her in the back, um, and it was hitting her bone, but when, uh, he turned her over or when she turned over, he couldn't bring himself to stab her in in the chest because that's where her boobs are. What? Yeah. And when he was stabbing her, like she, she just wasn't dying. She wasn't bleeding out fast enough. And, you know, the reason why you know he didn't just stab her in the heart get it over with is because her boobs were there okay he said it would be terrible for him to stab her and her her breast yeah and it's also weird because while he's stabbing her i can't remember if it was luchessa or the first girl i feel like it might have been luchessa but Mm -hmm. as he's stabbing her he accidentally grazes her boob with his hand and apologizes to her for grazing her boob with his hand as he's stabbing her to death oh my gosh he's such he's so weird he's such an enigma he is fucked yeah So, um, after he kills Lucius, I mean, oh, go ahead. I, I, I don't know if that's gentlemanly or like, <laughs> what's I mean, the word we're looking for right now? It's a weird mix of being a gentleman and being a fucking psycho. psycho. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. So, after he kills Lucessa, he tosses them both in the trunk and starts driving back to his apartment. But guess what? What? He gets pulled over. Oh. So, Ed gets out of the car to ask the cop 
why he was being pulled over. Um, and the cop tells him that he had a broken taillight. So Ed said, do you want to look in the trunk to, what? you know, um, see if maybe it's like a loose wire or something? And he says this to the police officer. Yeah. Is he wanting to get caught? No, but he figured if he was very cooperative that the cop would just kind of let him go. And that's exactly what the cop did. The cop was like, wow, just what a cooperative what a citizen. Smart fella. Yeah. So weird. And the cop was like, nah, it's cool. Just. Yeah. But Ed, go ahead. I'm just like, so what if the cop would have opened the trunk? I'm about to tell you. Do you have a game plan here? (laughs) Literally the next bullet says, Ed said that if the cop would have looked in the trunk, he was prepared to kill him too. So if, if he, if it would have backfired on him and the cop would have looked, he would have just killed the cop too. Okay. And brought him home with the other two. So lucky cop. Yeah. Um, so, Ed finally makes it back to his apartment and brings Lucessa and Pesh inside. Um, he eviscerates them and has sex with their decapitated heads. Oh, no. And their bodies. Gross. Yeah. Gross. Um, so, I meant to look up this guy's last name because it's really weird. Um, but his name is Louis uh, Schlesinger something like that he is a phd okay he says that the reason why he has to go beyond the murder is because the killing is not psychosexually fulfilling the idea is that if um she would have been alive ed would have been too intimidated yeah to yeah you know try and rape her or whatever so Um, and if you kill her, she's unresisting. So yeah. that's why I kind of think that he wouldn't have um, molested his siblings or his sisters because the Ed could not, um, he, like, he was so f- um, fearful of rejection. And um, it sounds like he couldn't have sex with anything or anyone unless it was dead. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, so the next day he skipped work and went up to Santa Cruz and buried Pesh's body without her head. Mm. Then he headed to the Lona Prieta area where he dragged Lucessa's body through a heavily wooded area and put, uh, her body there. He then backtracked and left incriminating evidence and their heads in another spot. Eh. Yeah. So after the first murders, fights with his mother, of course, escalate. Um, it's noted that the connection between Ed's anger towards his mother is a causing factor in his urge to kill. Yeah, obviously. Um, his mother said that she hadn't been she hadn't had sexual relations with the man in seven years because of Ed being a bomb. And whatnot. Yeah. And just because he was a horrible son and yeah. blah, blah, blah. So a more violent and harsh argument with his mother sent him on a mission to kill his next victim. Ed realized he had been highly unprepared during his first murder and needed to switch up his MO. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, he thought 
you could just stab them a few times and they'd be dead, but... Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. No. So this time he had a murder kit, and it had, like, a knife, a gun, uh-huh. some handcuffs, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. His next victim was a girl named Aiko Ku. I think that's how you pronounce it. I know I heard it a million times in the documentary, but... Mm-hmm. She was a 15-year-old Korean dance student. Um, she had missed the bus and decided to hitchhike. So she gets into the car with our good old friend Ed Kemper and soon realizes that he's not taking her where she needed to go. Mm-hmm. She told him that she was going to be late for her ballet class and Ed told her that she wasn't going to make it that night. Yeah, he indicated that he wasn't going to do anything severely wrong with her and reassured her that she wouldn't be hurt, though he had planned to kill her all along. Yeah. Yeah, he's just a fucking asshole. So he pulls a gun on her and she starts freaking out, which makes Ed realize that he can't use a gun on her because she's freaking out and making a lot of commotion. So he puts the gun away and she instantly settles down a little. Mm Mm-hmm. He got out of the car for whatever reason. He said he couldn't remember why. Only to realize that he had locked himself out of the car with the <laughs> keys and gun inside. <laughs> so this is insane because... So he already weaseled his way out of the cop pulling him over. Yeah. Now he convinces <gasps> her to her open the door. To open the door and let him back inside. Hell no. Nope. He is a master manipulator. That If somebody pulled a gun out on me, you bet your sweet fucking ass I would get in the driver's seat and drive away with their car. And while I'm driving away, I'm shooting your ass. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to crack the window and be shooting yeah. at you as I'm <laughs> as pulling I'm away. away yeah. 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 That is crazy. So he gets back in the car. Either he's really good or she's really not good. Well, I, I hate think to say he's that about just a victim, really but. good because, and we'll <sighs> see later on, there are other things that he does too. And it's like, why? how do these people know? Yeah. I mean, how, why don't they know? That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. So when he gets mm-hmm. back in the car, he uses a scarf to strangle her to death. Mm-hmm. And then he decapitates her and keeps her head. God, that's so awful. She had a chance, man. She had a huge chance. She could have made it. But, I mean, who knows? Like, we weren't there in the situation. Who knows what he could have said or what he could have done or, you know, anything could happen, you know? And she's 15. Yeah. She's still developing mentally. Mm -hmm. The next day, Ken, Ken, Jesus, Ed had to see a psychiatrist after getting out of juvenile, the um, mental hospital or whatever it was, mm-hmm. he had to go through a certain period of time and then be reevaluated. So mm-hmm. that's why he was there. Mm-hmm. He was able to fool them yet again, and he was released permanently. What they didn't know is that Aiko Ku's head was in the trunk of Ed's car the whole time during his reevaluation. Oh my God. Yeah, just in the parking lot while he was inside. Mm-hmm insane so by 1973 kemper had killed three women and because the police didn't have any actual crime scenes to investigate they had no leads Mm -hmm. Uh, things between kemper and his mother continued to escalate causing him to go back on the hunt 
Kimber said that when he would pick up women, most all of their conversations revolved around who was killing the co-eds. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's also referred to as the co-ed killer. Okay. They would talk about what the killer may look like or how he may act, how he may dress, how he may carry himself, how he may think. Uh, they would look at Kemper and judge that he was not the killer because he didn't look like what they imagined him to look or act like. Right. Kemper said that when the women would bring up the killer, they didn't realize it, but they were getting a free ride because he couldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. So he's just picking up these women, and if they brought up the co-ed killer, he wouldn't kill them. Wow. Because who knows why? <laughs> but it's like when they were acknowledging it and being like, you're not the killer. So, yeah. you know, most killers would be like, but uh-huh. bitch, I am. Right. And Ed's like, you're never going to know that I was the killer. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm going to let you go. Right. So, so Th- weird. That is very weird. So at this point, Kemper was getting better at his craft. And I'm so sorry I keep interchanging between Kemper and Ed. I that's just okay. like some sentences are better with Ed and some are better with Kemper. Yeah, so that's okay. So once a woman would get into the car and shut the door he would reach over her and he would open the door and then shut it again just like pretending to make sure that the door was shut was shut yeah but what he would really be doing was depositing um a tube of chapstick behind the handle so that they couldn't open it the door from the inside oh shit yeah wow like you know those handles where you like stick your hand in it and you like pull you know uh yeah and then it opens like that yeah yeah wow Mm -hmm. Um, Once they got into the car, he believed that they belonged to him. Yeah. So. The fourth victim was named Cynthia Shaw. She was on her way to her mother's house, who supposedly wasn't there. He told her that she could, or that she should get into the trunk and that it would be all right. So instantly he's like, you should just get into the trunk and you're going to be okay. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like nothing bad's going to happen to you. Yeah. Once in the trunk, Kemper shot her in the head once, which killed her instantly. Didn't even give that girl a shot. No. It's like um, when you said get in the trunk, it reminds me of that movie. I, I can't think, but me and Ansley always joke around. It's the, where the grandparents are like murderers. And like, oh, the visit. The visit, yeah. And the grandmother's like, darling, can you get in the oven and clean it for me? <laughs> Like, no, bitch, I'm not getting in your oven. Like, if somebody is, like, get in the trunk, I'm going to be like, ah, uh, nah. Yeah. Like. Did you see that? Did you see? When did you see that movie? Years ago. Because I know that me and Ansley and Scotty and your mom went and saw that in theaters. Okay. And I was like, why is this little child yeah, watching this young. horror movie? Yeah, Ansley's always been weird like that. Yeah. But yeah, we still talk about that. Get in the oven and clean it for yeah. me. Oh, okay, Grandma. Sure thing. Like <laughs> her walking around the house butt ass naked. How about her underneath the crawl space? No, crawling. that was the worst. <laughs> oh my god, I've only seen that movie once, but now I kind of want to watch it again because oh my god. Sorry, that just reminded me of when you're like, oh, yeah, get in the trunk. Okay, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't thought about that movie in forever. <laughs> so, um, after he shot and killed her, he then proceeded to decapitate her. And then went outside with the head and buried her head in the ground facing up to his mom's window. He did this because he said that his mom always wanted people to look up to her. Oh, that's very nice. He's so just symbolic. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, God. This um, guy. Kemper would decapitate his victim's head outside of his mother's apartment where anyone could walk past their window and see him do it. What? This gave him great satisfaction and the sense of invincibility he had, you know, been feeling. That is insane. Yeah. So at one point, Kemper um, had a camera from one of his victims and her severed head in a bag. Um, And as he was going up the flight of stairs at his apartment, a couple walked past him, nodded, smiled at him, and said, good evening. They seemed like they were going out on a date, and Kemper was aware of the dramatic difference in both of their realities. He said that the realization usually breaks other killers, but it didn't break him. He said it didn't make him feel lost. Mm -hmm. Um, And... um, I think, like, the most dramatic difference is best described by a quote from Ed Kemper, Mm -hmm. um, where he says, one side of me says, I'd like to take her, date her, uh, or I'd like to talk to her and date her. The other side of me says, I wonder what her head would look like on a stick. Yeah, I know that quote. That's yucky. Yeah. um, Have have you ever seen American Psycho? No. What the fuck? No, you know I don't watch movies. Okay, well, if you've seen American Psycho, um, Christian Bale actually quotes that quote Mm -hmm. um, in the movie. He's, like, talking to somebody else, and, uh, um, I mean, it's not the exact quote, but it's pretty much the same thing, just more drawn out and longer. Okay. Um, But it's actually misquoted as Ed Gein, when really Ed Kemper's the one that says it. Really? Yes. He literally quotes it as Ed Gein in the movie, but it is Ed Kemper. Yeah. Crazy, right? Uh Uh-huh. Also, I didn't really like American Psycho. It wasn't that great of a movie, in my opinion. There were parts about it that I thought were good, but overall... Anyways, with four hitchhikers missing, the search for the co-ed killer continued. During this time, Kemper continued to hang out with the policemen in bars. Um, They would buy him beers. He would buy them beers. It seemed like casual relationships, but he was actually there just trying to find out, you know, how the investigation was going with. I was going to say what they knew. Yeah. 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 Um, Being able to hang out with the police and get the information they were sharing with him made him feel like a super killer and not an ordinary killer. Mm. He felt like he had the upper hand. Yeah. The police actually ended up having to go to Kimber's house one day to confiscate a gun that he had, um, that they were told he had purchased. And being a previous mental patient and a convicted killer, he wasn't allowed to have a gun. Right. So he used a 22 automatic as his murder weapon, um, but he also had a 44 Magnum. Hmm. He wasn't sure which gun they were looking to confiscate, and he didn't want to advertise that he had multiple weapons, and he definitely didn't want to give them the actual murder weapon. Yeah. So to try and decide which gun they were looking for, he made the comment, yes, quite a little gun, isn't it? And they said, a 44 Magnum? I sure hope so. So then he knew. Wow. Yeah. Uh, He was relieved that it was the 44 Magnum because the 22 under his front seat would guarantee an arrest on the spot. And Mm -hmm. the 44 was in the trunk. So, 
Mm. Yeah. Once again, lucky, lucky, lucky Kemper. Yeah. So I think you guys can kind of see the pattern now. Mm-hmm. He gets into his fight with his mom. He kills. Yeah. He gets into a bigger fight with his mom. He kills. Mm-hmm. He gets into an even bigger fight with his mom. He kills. Mm-hmm. So now he's getting into a bigger fight with his mom. Mm-hmm. Um, he describes that his mother had him like a puppet on a string and that she knew exactly how to push his buttons. Mm-hmm. They had gotten into a fight and he grabbed her, picked her up, and threw her on the bed threatening to kill her. Mm-hmm. Um, Kemper targeted co-eds because his mother was an in- administrative assistant at UC Santa Cruz. She was associated with the co-eds. Yeah. So that's why he did that, like... Trying to hurt her in a way? I think it was more... um, Because they were kind of associated with her. It just made sense to him Mm -hmm. to... It doesn't make sense, but to him it did. Yeah. Yeah. Local universities started advising students not to hitchhike and to only accept rides from people with a UC sticker on their car. Oh, God. So what's he do? (laughs) goes and gets a uc sticker no his mom was the administrative assistant at uce <laughs> so she had a fucking sticker on her car and her car is the car that kemper had been driving to pick up victims oh, and kill them God. so that that whole rule just did yeah. not apply yeah whatsoever it's insane to me just how lucky this guy is yeah when it comes to not getting caught and just mm-hmm. things going totally his way who was it recently that like several things like that happened too and it's like he never oh the eyeball killer yeah just yeah. always got lucky until he did it right and i personally kind of feel like kimber would have never gotten caught until maybe dna became more um prevalent yeah um but we'll talk more about that in a minute um so his next victims were rosalind thorpe and alice lou Kemper said that the first girl I see that looks halfway decent that I pick up, I'm going to blow her fucking brains out because he was just so angry at his mother. Mm -hmm. Um, They had been fighting all day and then he just jumps up and tells his mom he's going to go watch a movie and then looking for his next victim. When he picked up women, he would look at his watch to pretend like he was checking the time to avoid being late to an appointment or like, you know, he had something, you know, going on later. And this would kind of make the women feel more comfortable and more at ease, you know, like, you know, he's obviously not going to murder us because, you know, he he has somewhere to be. Yeah. Um, so, uh, about halfway down a hill after he had picked up Rosalind and Alice, he started to slow down almost to a stop. This is where he commented on the view of the city in which both of the women also commented on it. And while both of the women were looking at the view of the city, he shot both of them. Jesus. Yeah. So he shot Rosalind first in the head. And she died instantly. Mm-hmm. And then he turned around to Alice in the back seat and missed the shot to her head. Um, it went through her hands because she was like putting her hands up to you yeah. know cover her face and stuff, and so it went through her hands. Oh. Um, 
The second shot grazed her head and knocked her out. And then the third shot went through her forehead. Wow. So we covered the bodies up, one with a coat and the other with a blanket. He drove down the hill with a car following behind him, but they didn't notice anything was wrong. You know, mm-hmm. just seemed completely normal. Mm-hmm. He drove um, right past two guards at the bottom of the hill. Um, and as he did this, Rosalind was dead in the front seat, but Alice was moaning in the back seat. Yee. So she was not dead. Um, and by past the guards at the bottom of the hill, I mean to the guards at the bottom of the hill, uh-huh. the guards at the bottom of the hill were checking cars. And when he drove up to the two officers, Kemper gave them an eat shit look, a glare that kind of says, I've had a long day and just want to go home. Yeah. And guess what? They it works. Know. He, they just let him go. They didn't search his car. They didn't search his car. And did they hear the moaning? Did they? I would guess not. I don't know. God. Yeah. So she had been shot three times and wasn't dead. Right. Good Lord. Poor thing. So after that whole incident with the officers, um, he drove them to his mother's house. Later that night, around 11 and 1130, he goes back outside to the car and opened the trunk and then cut both of their heads off. I wonder if she was still alive. I have no idea. Probably She probably would have bled out at that point. Yeah. The next day while his mother was at work, he took the two bodies inside of the house. He cleaned them up, had sex with their bodies. He then brought both heads inside and checked them and found that one of the bullets in Rosalind's head was still lodged under the skin and so he cut it out and then took both of the heads to the bay area to dispose of them as well as their bodies okay so he got rid of the bullet because he didn't want it to be traced back to him i guess i don't know okay uh he did this by this i mean he took them to the bay area because you know this isn't he he's uh in santa cruz that's where Mm -hmm. all these murders are happening uh, he took them to the Bay Area because he wanted the he didn't want the police to think it was a local murder. Gotcha. So another way to try and not tie it back to the co-ed killer. Mm-hmm. But I feel like his, you know, mo is kind of not. It's unusual. Yeah. Having you know just decapitated Heads. bodies and the head nearby. Yeah. So, again, you know, he just killed. So, what do we think happens next, you guys? I'm going to take a guess and say mom's next. He gets into another fight with his mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it escalates. And this is when he realizes that he can't keep taking his rage out on... Other people. Yeah. It had been two months and Kemper hadn't killed. This time, it wasn't going to be an unsuspecting college girl. He said, it's got to stay between me and my mother. Mm-hmm. This is when he decided he was going to kill her. Mm-hmm. Clornell had went out to a party, got really drunk, came home to go to sleep, um, and this woke Kemper up. So um, he walked um, up to her bed as she was reading a book before bed. She looks up at him and says, you're probably going to want to talk. And he looked at her and said, nope, good night. 
and just went out of the room. But he knew he was going to kill her. Mm -hmm. So around four in the morning, Kimber went back into her room while she was asleep and beat her to death with a claw hammer. Yee, gosh. Yeah. He then takes his mother and drags her into the kitchen, cuts off her head. Oh, my God. (sighs) Sorry. The garage, guys. And we're in the room above the garage, so it's really loud. We apologize. Jesus fucking... Okay. Anyways. um, So he drags his mother into the kitchen. He cuts off her head. He has sex with her head. Ew. And then he placed it on the mantle and threw darts at it. Oh my god. That is <laughs> disgusting. It's terrible. Wow. He had a lot of hatred. Yeah. Holy cow. And then he spends over an hour just yelling at her and chewing her out. Her head. Yeah, just screaming at her decapitated That's so head. so disgusting. Yeah. Like, it's enough to kill her, your own mom, but then you put her on the mantle and throw darts at it and yell at it. And fuck it. <clears throat> and guys, when I say he fucks their heads, I don't mean, like their mouths i mean he sticks his junk into her neck that is so disgusting yes and i totally meant to do a trigger warning before all of this oh my god (laughs) this is a lot maybe we should put it in the uh in the caption for the episode yeah i will okay eek um so then he rips out her larynx because she's such a knack Mm-hmm. And then he throws it down the garbage disposal. That makes sense, though. Yeah. The psychology behind that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says that when he threw it down the garbage disposal, it would pop out and he would grab it and put Ew. it back in. And then it would pop back out and then he would throw it back in. That is so fucking disgusting. I know. It's oh my so god. Um, and it just kept, you know, popping back out and he'd have to throw it back in. So he says, to her larynx, even now... Even now, you bitch. Even now, after this, you're still nagging me. I hate you. You're still nagging me. Gross. <laughs> so did it finally chop up? I, I mean, guess. So I don't know. Ugh. This is so sick. She had ridiculed him his whole life, and symbolically, he wanted to take her voice box out. So. I, yeah, like I said, psychologically, that makes complete sense. Yeah. So, Kemper says um, in, in the documentary, So there, you know, six young women dead because of the way she raises her son and the way her son is raised, the way he grows up, and what's her closing words? I suppose you want to sit up all night and talk. And he was, like, so obviously disgusted by that in the documentary. Wow. So he decided that he kind of needed a reason that nobody would be looking for his mother. Yeah. So he targeted her best friend. Okay. Yeah. He said that if he were to dispose of her best friend, then people would not be wondering where they were because they had the tendency to go away together for the weekend. Yeah. So he called mrs hallett and invited her to dinner and said he was going to take both her and his mother out oh that's so nice she comes over to the house that night expecting to have a nice dinner with her best friend and her best friend's son 
When she got there, Kemper punches her once in the abdomen and then took her neck in the crook of his arm and applied pressure until he heard a cracking in her neck. Oh my god. As he was choking Mrs. Hallett, he had an orgasm. I'm literally banging my head against this microphone stand. I cannot handle him. He's just a sick man. (laughs) Sorry if y'all hear that. (sighs) He spends the night with her in bed and attempts sex acts with her body. Attempts? Attempts, that's what it said, attempts. Okay. Afterwards, Kemper freaked out and decided to head out of town. So he loaded his gun with an arsenal. He loaded his gun, Jesus. He loaded his car with an arsenal of guns. He drove for three days thinking that his face would be all over the news. But nobody came looking for him. Still nobody suspecting him. Nobody knew, yeah. Um, He made it to Pueblo, California. California, Colorado, where he goes into a phone booth and calls the Santa Cruz Police Department and tells the dispatcher that he is the killer they're looking for. And guess what? What? The dispatcher just hangs up on him. Probably thinking it was like a hoax. Yeah. The dispatcher didn't believe him. So Kemper calls back and tells them that he killed his mother and that he is the co-ed killer. He requested some, I I meant to write it down, but I didn't and I'm sorry, but he requested that some like lieutenant or sheriff or I don't even remember Mm -hmm. to go look at his house because they knew where Kemper had lived. Mm -hmm. They did. Found the gruesome scene in there. And then they made Kemper stay on the phone with uh, the dispatcher until Mm -hmm. they came to arrest him. What a shit job of the initial dispatcher, though. Like, you cannot do that. No, you can't. Somebody says, I just killed somebody, and you just hang up. No, you didn't. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, obviously that was a bad thing, but Mm. whatever. He so he told on himself. Yeah, he turned. I mean, I guess in. he knew eventually, being that he had gone as far as to kill his mother, it was going to be tied back into mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, um, Kimber said he gave himself up because once he murdered his mother, it was a cathartic process, and he got physically ill right afterwards. Killing his mother had solved his problem. He didn't have to kill symbolically anymore. So, killing her took away, I guess, that desire to kill. I mean, I don't want to sound insensitive, but, like, you should have just killed your mom and got it over with. Why do you have to kill those innocent girls? Well, Kemper does say that he hated his mom. Yeah. But he loved his mom, and he wanted to love his mom, and he wanted his mom to love him. Mm -hmm. I mean... It seems because Kemper feared rejection so much. Mm-hmm. I feel like he didn't... I kind of felt like he didn't want his mother to die while still rejecting him. Gotcha. That's kind of my theory. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I guess she just became too unbearable and he just had to kill her. I don't... Yeah. I don't know. Seems like he always just longed for that, you know. Yeah. For her to accept him and to... I don't know, want him. Right. You know? Yep. 
So, um, when they were driving back to the Santa Cruz Police Department, mm-hmm. um, the officer that was in the car with him in the back seat, mm-hmm. it took them three and a half days to get there. He said that Kemper literally just did not shut up the whole entire drive. He just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. And he was like thinking in his head, I wish you would just shut the fuck up. <laughs> like just shut up. We're going to have to hear this all over again once you get to the police department. Like can right. you just shut up? Yeah. And so. Um, was he proud? Yeah. So whenever they'd have to like take a pit stop mm-hmm. because, you know, now the whole world knew of Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer. Yeah. He would get out and he would kind of strut around because there were so many people, you know, there watching him and just looking at him. And they could tell that he was just showing himself off, you know. And then when they finally pulled up to the police department, um, they went around back, but he asked how much press was in the front. Uh, They went around back because of the press. Wow. So, you know, he was so happy that. Yeah. He wanted that publicity and fame right so now uh the defense is trying to you know not guilty by insanity that's their plea um and so one of his defenders harold cartwright um came in one day and uh, he had a really stiff neck kimber told him that he knew a lot about anatomy and that he could help him you could fix it. Uh-huh. So Cartwright went around to Kemper and let him work on his neck. And he said that it actually made him feel better. And I'm just thinking if this, <laughs> if I was defending a neck fucker, there is no way he would be touching my neck. That is weird. Yeah. Ooh. But he said that um, he never felt unsafe in Kemper's presence. Like he even went so far as to say that he felt like if somebody would have attacked him, Kemper would have st- you know stepped in and stopped it and protected him well i guess because he was a man yeah it could be that but you know it also could be just that manipulation factor yeah yeah everyone there described kemper as a very charming disarming and nice guy he would joke with the jailers and the jailers liked him after his trial, um, when he was uh, sentenced to life in prison on eight counts of first-degree murder that would run concurrently, he pretty much thanked the judge, thanked the jury, apologized. And then when they were leading him out, waved at people he had made friends with while being in jail, waiting for the trial and whatnot. And people would wave and smile back at him. He and stresses me out. He's very chaotic, but also, like, in a non-chaotic way. Yeah. Like, his murders are very chaotic and disgusting and terrible, but then he's also just... Got this gentle giant side. Yeah, and it's so freaking weird. That is weird. But that's all I have on Edmund Kemper. I was wondering, so he got life... See, mm-hmm. what, okay, so going back to what I covered yeah. last episode, Eileen, why did Eileen have to be put to death, but somebody as disgusting as him got life? Uh, it, might, it may have to do with 
does California have the death? I'm not sure. I kind of don't think that they do. Yeah. Then it's that just could weird how that kind of thing, you know, somebody can do something just as brutal and heinous, mm-hmm. you know. And it also just depends on the jury. I mean, I mean they... Is Ed Kemper still alive? Um, I don't know. Let me Google it really fast. I meant to look that up because I do want to know. Let's see. Yep, he sure is. Wow. Six foot nine, ten victims. He killed for nine years. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So he is still alive. My birthday buddy. (laughs) My birthday buddy. (laughs) I wonder what he looks like now at 71. Oh, I don't know. I would like to know, though. I'm Googling right now. I wonder... I just... I kind of want to know, like, what goes on in his head nowadays. Ew. Oh, my God. (laughs) He looks like a pedophile. Gross. Well, Ed Kemper, you lived a terrible life, and you did terrible things, and now you're just running away in prison. Yep. Um, Again, if you guys you know need a, a new show to watch on netflix i definitely recommend mindhunter it is so good and i just want a third season so bad you have serial killers in it like ed kemper and btk and then they talk about you know the early signs of um a potential serial killer when mm-hmm. you know you're growing up and it's really really good and you know they really hone in on Kemper and uh, Holden. He's one of the um, psychologists or whatever they are. And uh, he gets like pretty close to Kemper and it kind of shows the toll that that takes on him. And I don't know. It's a really good show. That was a really good episode, Alyssa. Thank you. I think that was probably my favorite that you've done. Thank you so much. It's probably because I spent a lot of time actually doing really good notes. <laughs> you really did. That, no, you always do an incredible job, but you just seemed super into it. That's because he's the one that interests me the most. Yeah, I enjoyed that. It's just the um, the contrast in him. Mm-hmm. The gentle giant, like you said, yeah. and then this crazed man who you know cuts women's head off and then has sex with them that to me it's just so mind-boggling how absolutely he works the two different sides of him yeah i uh i'm sitting here googling and i just found a picture of ed kemper's mother's head oh let me see (laughs) oh my god i've seen that before yeah it's It's sad awful awful awful. you know a, a severed head I mean, just the ones that I've seen online, they look so odd. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They look really scary. They don't look real. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it's just I horrifying. would assume so. I just, I don't know. I don't know, guys. Let us know what you think about Ed Kemper um, on Facebook or on Instagram, or you can even email us or whatever. We would really like to know your opinion. And, um, he's a crazy man. Yeah, he is a crazy man. He's a very crazy, intelligent man mm-hmm. with a high IQ. I can't believe he has such a high IQ. That's nuts. Yeah. 
But I will say the way that he does talk is kind of monotoned, mm-hmm. but still very captivating. Yeah. But it could be just because I know he's a prolific serial killer and mm-hmm. yeah. But anyways, well, um, thank you for listening guys. And, um, if you want to catch up on our social media, we have a Facebook page or a Facebook group, uh, called for God's sake, don't drink the Jones juice. You can follow us on Instagram at don't drink the Jones juice. Um, you can email at, email us your uh, own personal true crime paranormal stories at don't drink the Jones juice at gmail.com. You can buy our merch. Buy our merch mm-hmm. at storefrontier.com slash don't drink the Jones juice. And then our TikTok at don't drink the Jones juice. Is that it? That is it. All right. I'm not going to say everything else that we said on yours because. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's getting late. Yes. So I guess the last thing to say is for God's sake. Don't drink the Jones juice. What the hell was that? <laughs> fucking phone. My phone? My. Jesus Christ. <laughs>